In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Propitiously, Mother's Day often falls on the Eastertide Sunday when Jesus uses the image of childbirth in the Gospel. Jesus describes the emotional shift the disciples will experience in the movement from cross to resurrection, saying, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus says this is like a pregnant woman whose agonizing labor pains give way to the joy of birth. Jesus was taken from his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane on Monday Thursday. He was crucified, dead, and buried on Good Friday, and they did not see him. The disciples spent the time from Friday evening through early Sunday in lamentation and sadness. But they saw Jesus again on Easter Day, and that sorrow was turned to joy. This experience of cross and resurrection, this movement from sorrow to joy, permeates the Christian life and the life of prayer. The difference between our experience of it and that of the first disciples is that we know that Christ is risen. We know that Christ is present with us and is accomplishing his will in us through our trials. And this is the reason St. James told us last week to count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Nonetheless, there is a real sorrow. We experience sorrow in the world in <clears throat> our repentance for our sins, in facing tragedy and mortality, and in the various ways that life in this world falls short <clears throat> of our desires and expectations. However, our sorrow for sin leads to the joy of forgiveness. Our grief and mourning leads us into a new experience of God's comfort and his providential ordering of our lives. Disappointment serves to detach us from this world and draws us closer to God in our prayer. Sorrow leads to joy, but we cannot skip the step of sorrow. Sadness and sorrow are necessary parts of the Christian life. As Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And in the converse statement in the Lucan version of the Beatitudes, he said, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall weep and mourn. Sadness is not good in and of itself. It becomes good when it reveals our sin, weakness, and mortality and opens our lives up to salvation, grace, and new life in Christ. Conversely, when we avoid the appropriate mourning over sin, tragedy, and injustice in the world, we live in denial 
and we close ourselves off to the reality of, of what Christ has done for us in the cross and resurrection. This highlights a danger, or the danger, of a practice of the faith that tries to avoid all sadness. <clears throat> Culturally, we have an aversion to mourning. We have difficulty sitting in the authentic emotion of loss. It is part of the way we deny the reality of our fallen condition and our mortality. Thus, we tend to push our sadness away with busyness or medication or sometimes even with Bible verses. Sometimes there's an attempt to make funerals mere celebrations in which legitimate grief is written out of the script. But loss that is not grieved is not healed, and the impulse to avoid all sadness ends up avoiding true joy as well. <clears throat> There's also a danger in the other direction. There are Christians who seem to prefer to be sad and happy, unhappy all the time. In this case, appropriate sadness moves into unhealthy and unbiblical pessimism and even self-loathing that never produces real joy. The sadness of the world leads to despair if it does not lead us into a greater experience of the presence of the Savior of the world who meets us in our sadness. Authentic emotion is to feel the pain and or the joy that is appropriate to the reality of a thing. We avoid legitimate emotions when we deny or push away the emotions that are appropriate to our experiences. The cross and our share in it hurt. It is okay to experience that pain in Christ as the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. This will naturally lead us with patience over time to a new experience of the joy of resurrection. St. Paul describes this experience of prayer in Philippians, reconnects his experience of resurrection with his experience of the cross. He says that his desire is that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> A rich experience of the life of prayer cultivates the appropriate expectant tension. We process the legitimate sorrow of life in our prayers. <clears throat> the Psalms, which are the heart of the daily offices, help particularly with this. However, because we have the Holy Spirit, we experience the power of the resurrection in the midst of the sorrow. And this leads us back to the image of childbirth. A pregnant woman suffers real pain and sadness, but it is not the sadness of loss. It is the pain of birth. Mary the mother of Jesus epitomizes the relationship of childbirth to faith. She became pregnant with the Son of God when she received 
God's word with faith. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Her yes to God led her down a path of necessary sorrow, described by the words of Simeon in Luke 2.35, a sword shall pierce through your, soul, your own soul also. And also described by the Stabat Mater we sing in our Good Friday liturgy. Yet, Mary is the chief of the saints. All generations call her blessed, and the church's tradition connects her with the woman clothed with the sun in Revelation chapter 12. Mary is the prototype of the Christian life. Following her pattern, we say yes to the word of God as we receive the baptismal gift of the Holy Spirit by faith, by trusting God. We become bearers of the life of Christ. Our yes to God leads us down a path of necessary sorrow that is leading to glory and unending joy. Our pain is the pain of birth. It is not the pain of death. As 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The epistle today reveals this same pattern when it exhorts us to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The pain of resisting temptation is a legitimate pain of the Christian life. To say yes to God requires that we say no to all that is not from him. God is teaching us not to exchange eternal joy for momentary relief. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23 summarize our hope. They describe the entire creation as laboring expectantly in anticipation of the joy that is coming in the fruition of the new creation at the appearance of Christ. St. Paul writes, we know that the whole creation groans and labors together with birth pangs until now. And not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.